0: Well, welcome online. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to the book of 1 Samuel. If you would turn to chapter 13, we're going to get started. Awesome. So, just to keep you guys uh, up to date, we are going to be continuing our uh, posts online Um we've been studying through these accounts of the old testament lately accounts that are kind of the pillars in the faith regarding certain characters and what god did in their lives We went through the life of the kings and that we were we were dealing with them uh, for the last few weeks and how God was dealing with the kings of Israel at the time and how he related to them through the prophets. He would give them messengers. But the glorious thing about today of how God speaks to us now, in Hebrews chapter 1 it says that in times past God spoke through the prophets. In times of old he spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through his son Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing tonight. We are getting the word of God through the Bible. This is God's word. Infallible, meaning it's perfect. And it's inspired of God, meaning he breathed these words. And he just used men to write this book. They were just the instrument. But it was God who was breathing the words onto these pages. And with that, we're seeing how God is speaking to us in our own life about the things and issues that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And we need guidance. We need his love to continue to move forward. So I want to now take a study of one of the first kings of Israel. He was actually the second king of Israel, the first one being King Saul. But I want to dive into a study on king david king david is a man well known in the bible he's a man known as a man after god's own heart so the title for the study tonight is a man after god's own heart and i want to take a a character look and a character study we're going to go over several weeks i believe through his account and his story, and we're going to dive into who he was, where he started, and how God used him mightily. Perhaps you guys have heard of David fighting Goliath. It's, it's a well-known story, even in the secular world, David fighting this giant Goliath. But that's just one chapter of David's life story. He had so much going on. He started off as the shepherd boy, who was turned into this mighty warrior for God, and he fought against the giant Goliath, and he was victorious because God gave him the victory. And later on, though, he actually became the king of Israel. And when he was reigning king, he he was prospering the land of Israel. God was using him to do so. But King David, known as a man after God's own heart, he also had his major flaws. He has two great sins that we're going to Uh, dive into later on as we study him. But the well-known one is his sin with Bathsheba. Maybe you guys have heard that song, uh, the Hallelujah song. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. It talks about King David actually falling for Bathsheba in that song. See, it's a well-known story where a man just was, gave into his lust. And ended up committing adultery, had an affair, ends up committing murder to hide his sin. And we see that this man who is a man after God's own heart had a great flaw in his life. And he repents and God still uses him. We learn as you continue on towards the end of David's life that God gives him a promise You see, King David, at a certain point at the end of his life, he wants to build this temple for God. He wants to build a great temple for God. Beautiful. And God stops him from doing this great work of God. And he says, no, David, you're not going to build the temple for me, but your son will. And then God gives King David a promise, which is so beautiful, especially after the disappointment that was in David's heart. God tells King David, he says, David, from your line, from your heritage, from your sons, the Messiah is going to come. And that Messiah, that's Jesus Christ. So we can trace the lineage of Jesus back to David and further back up all the way to Abraham. But he has this beautiful blessing that his heritage, his sons would end up having that eternal kingdom where one of his future grandsons would be the king of the universe, the king of our lives for those who believe, the the king of our hearts to rule righteously, lovingly, sovereignly. And David was blessed by this. So before we begin to dive into David's life, I kind of need to set the scenes up for his origin. This is his origin story. You see, during David's time as a young boy, there's another character who was king over Israel. And this is King Saul. You see, Israel at the time, the Jewish people, before King Saul, they lived as a theocracy. What's a theocracy, you say? A A theocracy is God anointing a prophet to speak to the people his words and the people followed what the prophet was saying through God, by God. So they're governed by God himself. And the prophet was just used as a vessel. The prophet wasn't putting his own thoughts and his own will on these people but the people were following the will of God. And we see that same form of ministry today in our church today. See, God anoints a pastor to lead his church through the word of God. And the pastor is anointed and called and given that gift of pastorship, of leadership, of prophecy to speak, forth telling. It's not always foretelling. A lot of times it's just forth telling what the word of God says and how it applies to our lives. And God anoints that pastor to do that work. And then the people follow the pastor and it is underneath him, there's the assistant pastors and there's an order to ministry. There's an order at your household, right? You guys don't have the kids deciding when to go to bed and what they should eat for breakfast, right? You, the parents, you guys decide Because you love your children. And in that same way, God has an order to his ministry. You see, the Israelites were under this theocracy. But the Israelites began to see how the other nations, they had kings. And because of these kings that they had in other nations, they got jealous. They wanted to look at a man ruling over them, a physical human being. And so they began to go to the prophet Samuel at the time. And they said, Samuel, give us a king. We want a king to follow who can lead us, who we could see. Because they didn't believe. They started to lose their faith in the one true living God. So Samuel, against what Samuel knows is right, is then ordered by God. God says basically, look, all right, this is what the, the people are begging for this king, then we're going to give it to him, them. And so he says, I'm going to anoint King Saul. King Saul is going to be the king for these people. So Samuel goes to Saul, and he anoints him, and he makes him king. And Saul was a man who had a lot of things going for him. He was a man of promise. And it looked like he might be a, a, an amazing king. So let's begin now. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to go to verse 5. So 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 5. Now the way I kind of picture this uh, opening intro scene, it's kind of like, for me, it's always like a movie. And we have this opening scene of the battlefield. And imagine you could see... Israel, the land of Israel, maybe it's barely going to be dawn. So it's like this, this fog comes rolling in. This is how my mind works sometimes. And you see this army, this great army marching in, the Philistine army. So in 1 Samuel 13, beginning with verse 5, it says the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in the caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land, of Gad and Gilead. Now, this is interesting. You see, because the men of Israel, even though they knew who their God was, they were scared. They're frightened right now. They're in a tight spot, it says in verse 6. And they saw the enemy approaching. You know, sometimes that happens in our life where the, the enemy seems to be surrounding us. And what do we do? Continuing on, it says... In verse 7 again, Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Okay, so I need to pause right here. You see, there's this battlefield that's going on. The Philistines are attacking. And King Saul, he sees that his men they're, they're slipping away, they're they're becoming terrified. So, in King Saul's mind, he's just like, "Okay, well, you know, we haven't made the sacrifice to God yet. So we need to do that." Now, the sacrifices that were given to the Lord were only supposed to be performed by the priests. But Saul, without the priests there, said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll make the sacrifice. So he sacrificed the spurn offering himself, which wasn't the holy institution that God had made. You see, a good thing can be done in the wrong way. And when a good thing is done in the wrong way, it's not a good thing. In verse 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, the prophet Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me. And you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready to battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. So look at how Saul is responding to Samuel. Right after he sacrifices to the Lord, which he wasn't supposed to do, the prophet enters the scene and he sees Saul doing this. And he's like, what are you doing? Why didn't you wait? And look at what Saul begins to do, as we read. He begins to point the finger. He says, I saw my men scattering from me. Look, my men are leaving me. And then he points at, at Samuel and he says, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. So I said, the Philistines, the enemy is coming against me. So all these things, the men are scattering from me. You weren't there. The enemy is coming at me. So I sinned. Mm. that's a failure. It's a failure when we justify our sin. It's always a failure when we try to justify our sin. You see, we ourselves, we, we can't be made right on our own accord. We need a Savior in our lives. We need to be justified by Jesus Christ. You see, when we become justified by Jesus Christ, when we realize there's grace and peace for us, it helps us to grow in taking responsibility for our actions. It helps us to grow to say, you know what? I've sinned. I want to repent. I want to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And there's maturity in this. Continuing on. In verse 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Wow. This is a great punishment for King Saul. Samuel calls him foolish. He says, look, you're not keeping the the word of the Lord. And it says now at this point that the Lord would have established your kingdom. Now, I have that underlined because what I see here is God's permissive will. What are we talking about when we say God's permissive will? You see, God wills that people would repent and turn to him. But God doesn't force his own will on other people's lives. He gives us free will so we can choose. So it is God's will that we would repent. But because we have free will, we can choose to not follow God. We can choose to sin. We could also choose to follow the Lord. You see, this is entering now God's permissive will, what he allows to happen. And then there's other cases in our life, even as we see in King Saul's life, where he says God would have established your kingdom. Now, God doesn't know the possibilities because God knows exactly what's going to happen. God is all-knowing. So there's not different possibilities in God's mind. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't desire for the best for you and that we can choose to reject a gift. And that's what is happening in King Saul's life. And then in verse 14, again, you could underline, at the end of verse 14, but now your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And we're going to see that theme where David was a man after God's own heart. If you would skip to 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with verse 2, that's 1 Samuel chapter 15 beginning with verse 2. We're going to continue to see a, a little bit more of the, the downfall of King Saul. It says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. so this is what God commands King Saul to do to go and wipe out the Amalekite nation. Now, myself and a lot of people have read this verse and been like, "Whoa, that's a very heavy punishment on these people, even the the children, the babies are are being ordered to be killed here. And when you study the Amalekite people, you learn a few things. You learn, first of all, that they were a very wicked nation who would actually sacrifice their own children. They were a very wicked and and terrible people. And we see that God is bringing judgment upon them. You see how the Amalekites, they attacked the Israelites when they were just trying to cross through the wilderness. And I could see that, but I could also know that sometimes there's going to be those areas, because you've heard those arguments before, how could God order the killing of these women and children? How could God, a loving, just God, do that? And whenever there's the question that comes to my mind, and I don't have the full answer, I have to fall back on what I do know. And what I do know is that the Bible teaches of God's attributes. The God God. The Bible teaches that God is all-loving. He's all-loving. The the Bible teaches that God is all-powerful. And the Bible teaches that God is all-just. That everything that God does is just. And that God is all-good. That there's no evil in Him. So I have to look at His attributes when dealing with these hard questions from the Bible, these hard theological questions. I fall back on God's attributes so I encourage you there's a lot of great books on there on the attributes of God Tozer has a great book on the attributes of God and the more you learn of who God is the more you you learn about your purpose your identity yourself all your other identities kind of lesson because the what you think of God is the most important thing about you If you think that God is a bug on the other side uh, of the world, then you're going to live your life as if God is a bug on the other side of the world. If you think that God is this uh, evil, mean bully who just kills at will, then you're going to live your life as if God is such. But if you know and understand and study that God is all-loving, all-powerful, he's personal, then you're also going to live your life that reflects that. So fall back on what we do know, that in God's decision to wipe out the Amalekite nation, he's just and that he is good. If you skip down to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7, it says, Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites, from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats. The cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything in fact that appealed to them, they destroyed only what was the worthless, Or of poor quality. So we have God's command to wipe out the Amalekite nation, everything in it people, animals, donkeys, everything. And what does Saul do? He wipes out a lot of them, but he keeps King Agag alive, and he keeps the best of their cattle, their goats, their lambs, and he only destroys what is worthless. verse 10, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. So Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. See, understand that an incomplete obedience is disobedience. Understand that delayed obedience is still disobedience. You see we need to follow God, follow after God wholly, perfectly, completely, and yeah, we're sinners that's why we don't do that because we are sinners, so we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to follow, to pursue after God so that we can have that heart that is after God's own heart. Notice how Samuel the prophet is mourning over King Saul's disobedience. Samuel loved King Saul. He was the one who anointed him to be king. And he hated to see Saul fall away from the Lord In verse 12, it says early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then Samuel, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. And what did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what is evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best sheep, the goats, the cattle, and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering the fat, of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And this is so true in our lives. In our relationship with the Lord, one of the most beautiful things that he gives us as a free gift, is his grace. Where he blesses us with salvation when we don't deserve it. And that's his will, that's his choice. You see now, Christians, we can take that grace that God gives us so freely and then abuse it. A lot of times in our life, we are tempted by sin, and when that temptation comes we can justify it by saying well you know what i know god is going to forgive me because god is all loving and he's all merciful so since i know he's going to forgive me i'm going to do it one more time i'm going to commit this sin well just one more time or i'm going to keep committing this sin and you know what i i just i know that god is loving and i'm i'm going to hope and pray that It'll be all good that my salvation will not be in a bad place, in a rocky place. That's a scary place to be. You see, there, there's two types of grace. And this is from a book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He talks about two types of grace. One is costly grace and the other is cheap grace. You See, cheap grace is the grace I just described where somebody, they sin and they continue to sin knowing that God is going to forgive them so they continue in their sin. Now, costly grace is the type of grace that a believer receives and he understands that that grace was given to them at the cost of, of the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, being whipped 39 times, a crown of thorns on his head. And what cost God, what cost Jesus everything? It shouldn't be cheap for us. It should cost us our own lives. In that same book, he writes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, when God... When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's what our life is. When we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, there has to be repentance from sin. There has to be a death to the old flesh. The old sinful nature must die. But what God brings in is new life and the spirit. And there's revival and joy and peace and growth. So God says, what's better? Obedience or sacrifice? He says obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, we could be involved in all the church ministries. We could be involved in all the uh, missionary groups and all the Uh, help for the, the homeless and we can be involved in all these amazing charitable things. But if we're not obedient, then it's not worth very much. God wants us to have the relationship with him. You see, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. And there's nothing that you can do to get God to love you more. Because God's love is infinite. It's constant. And his love, it it doesn't grow on you. He always loves you. He does not change. Another attribute of God, that God does not change. And I'm glad also that there's nothing that we can do that would make God love us any less. No matter how many sins, no matter how many times we mess up, how deep and dark we go. God is not going to love us any less. He just wants that relationship with us, that we would be obedient. Notice again in verse 23, it said rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Uh, I look at my past life before I became a Christian and I was in rebellion to God and rebellion to my parents. I was stubborn, and it's as sinful as witchcraft. And because of this, Saul committing the same sin, he was rejected as king. Look at how he pleads for his throne back in verse 24. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the lord has torn the kingdom of israel from you today and has given it to someone else one who is better than you Oof. and he who is the glory of israel will not lie nor will his nor will he change his mind for he is not human that he should change his mind so notice that god does not change his mind he's not human But if you look back earlier, that God said that he felt sorry in verse 11. He said, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. So does that mean that God made a mistake? That he was like, oops, I shouldn't have made him king. No, because God is perfect, because God knows everything. He didn't make a mistake. But God is using a language when he says, I am sorry, that we can relate to. This is called, in theological terms, an anthropomorphism. When God relates to us human beings in a more human way so we could understand what he's feeling. See, because God does have feelings. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening here where God is, is grieving over Saul because Saul was anointed of the Lord. God chose him. And God had plans for him. But Saul rejected God. And again, let's move on now to chapter 16. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as a king. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons, To be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. I think it's kind of funny how Samuel, being a prophet of God, still questions. We we see his kind of fear of like, I'm going to die if I obey you right now, God. But God gives him a little bit of the plan to encourage him. Again, in verse 2, he says, Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. A heifer is a cow and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, and the elders of the town came trembling to meet him, What's wrong? they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel said. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So we have now the prophet Samuel entering into Bethlehem. He's looking for this man named Jesse, who God told him that Jesse's son was going to be the next king of Israel. So he begins to do this. Cleansing the ceremony so that he can prepare to anoint the next king of Israel. What is anointing? We use that word. Anointing, it's simply this. It means set apart. It means chosen for a specific task, a specific duty. Uh, I I use the illustration. Sometimes my mom, she'll get these little cupcakes uh, for our church fellowship. And I'll see them, and I'll be like, oh, I won't know it's for the church fellowship yet, so I'll go to start opening them up. I'm like, ooh, I want some of those cupcakes. And she's like, no, those are not for you. Those are for the church people. And I'm like, oh, okay, these are the anointed cupcakes. It means they're set apart. They're chosen. Why? If they're for a specific appointed time use, and God does the same thing with his children. We are anointed. We are anointed by God for a specific task, a specific duty a life adventure that nobody else can fulfill but you and you're anointed specially god gave you gifts and quirks and weirdness and awesome talents that he wants to use in an awesome way and the more you get closer to god the more you're going to see this come alive so now, as, as Samuel is coming into the city of Bethlehem, people are, are getting f- afraid of, of Samuel coming in there. Like, do you come in peace? They were scared that he might be coming with maybe judgment from the Lord. And he says, Yes, like, uh, we're just going to sacrifice to the Lord, so purify yourselves. And then he begins to look for Jesse. It says now in verse 6 When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ah, This is an awesome verse. I would highlight verse 7. Underline it. Star it in your Bible. You see, Samuel, he he sees one of the the first sons, Aliab, come in. He's like, oh, this guy's tall. He's probably big. He looks like the kind of guy who would take on this kingship. This is probably who God is choosing. And God tells the prophet Samuel, hey, man, you're looking at the outward. I look at the inward. This verse is special to me. This verse reminds me that it doesn't matter what you look like, your race. It doesn't matter your height. It doesn't even matter your your strength, your weakness. When God wants to use you, he's going to use you. No matter what age you are, how old, how young. People are affected when you simply make yourself available for the Lord. See, sometimes in our life, God Allows us to have flaws. He allows us to have flaws so that He can get the glory when we're being used by Him. A lot of times you're going to see in in ministry and in churches a lot of messed up people serving the Lord. But you got to keep your eyes and focus on Jesus Christ as your example. See, the church is like a hospital. A bunch of sick people going there so that we can get healed. And that's what we're doing. We're all sinners. Needing to be cleansed every day. Having to say the sinner's prayer every day of saying, God, forgive me for my sins. And just asking for his filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I love that God judges the heart. Are our hearts pure before the Lord? Is there greed and envy and wickedness and pride and lust? Because again, we could be doing all these outward things for the Lord, but if our heart is wicked, God knows. So we want to make sure our heart is right before the Lord. In verse 8, Then Jesse told his son Abinadab, to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, But Samuel said, Neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields washing the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. Now, please don't take that as a proof or verse for how your husbands need to look, women. I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> about the heart. But he was dark and handsome and had these beautiful eyes. And then in verse 13, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So I love this scene because we have David out there. He's not even counted with the rest of his brothers because he's just the little runt, this little kid. All the other brothers were presented before the prophet, but not David. Nobody ever thought much of David. All he was good for was taking care of the sheep. See, back then in uh, historical times, these shepherds, they were considered the lowest class. They were men who just were out there, just smelly. They smelled like the sheep. They had to deal with a lot of manure. And people didn't want to deal with them. But God knew that David was a man after God's own heart even when he was out there as a shepherd. And God used that time in his life. God used that time where David would be praying in the fields. He used that time to even train him for war where a bear would come and attack and David would have to fight the bear and David would kill this bear or a wolf or a lion. So God uses Our time of solitude. You see, right now, maybe you feel like, man, I'm I'm separated from a lot of people. We can't go and hang out like we used to anymore with COVID-19. We're stuck in our houses. But God is using this. It's a sanctified loneliness. And he's using it to mold and to shape us. And it's okay to feel lonely. Jesus felt lonely when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wept and prayed to God, God, if there's any other way that we could bring salvation to the human race, let it be. And then he said, God, but not my will, but your will be done. And He was sweating drops of blood and an angel came and ministered to him. See, we need to die to ourself and our self-will and put God's will first. Now, David in in that loneliness is where he began to grow and his spirit was growing. But now the prophet Samuel comes and he pours this flask of oil on him, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit falling upon David. And this power comes upon him. We see the same thing happening in the New Testament. This dunamis power. That word dunamis is this Power, Holy Spirit power, it's the same word that we get derive dynamite from. And that can happen in our lives where the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you but that dunamis power then begins to flow out of us. This is the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit begins to speak through you, move through you, use you in a special and sanctified, and holy, supernatural way. And that is what is happening, where David is now, having the Holy Spirit, overflow him. Now in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord, had left Saul, and the Lord sent, a tormenting spirit, that filled him, with depression, and fear. So now, we're continuing on with what's going on with King Saul. That because of King Saul's disobedience, the Lord sends a tormenting spirit. See, God will allow the enemy to come and attack us at times. He allows it to happen. See, the enemy is trying to get at us and we're, God is just holding him back sometimes. And then when we reject the Lord, and we reject the Lord's grace, we reject the Lord's love, God says, okay, you want to go down that path of disobedience? You want to go down the path of darkness? Then I'm not going to overpower your free will. You can choose that. And this tormenting spirit comes and it begins to fill him with depression and fear. And maybe you're experiencing that now. In a time when things are so uncertain, there's a lot of fear out there. There's also positions that, of spiritual warfare. There's oppression, where demonic forces can oppress us, meaning they can torment us spiritually, put ideas and thoughts and people in our path to turn us away from the Lord, maybe scary dreams at night, whatever it might be. Now there's oppression, and then there's possession. Now possession, a believer, cannot be possessed by a demon. Because the Holy Spirit has filled the believer's life. So a, a demon cannot possess a Christian. But oppression and possession, both those two de- things can lead to depression. I've experienced in my own life that when I was a, a young believer in the Lord, kind of this oppression where I, I would, sometimes the, the enemy would... would see shadows i'd see shadows in my room at night and i'd pray and i'd be like god why are you allowing this to happen and what happened so often where i began to be frustrated with the lord i said god like why i'm why are you letting this happen in my life and god would remind me that i'm in a battle and he would remind me look i love you i'm not gonna let you fall away and i had to be reminded that i'm in a spiritual warfare That The Christian walk is one of spiritual warfare. When you, as soon as you take a step towards Christ, the enemy wants to send all his demons your way to pull you away from Christ. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to follow the Lord. And the enemy does not want you to repent from sin. So he's going to send as much in your path possible to keep you on that path of sin. So how do we overcome the enemy? The Bible teaches, submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee. It's that simple. But there has to be submission. We have to allow God's will to overtake our own will. We have to die to ourselves. Now this depression came upon King Saul, this fear, and in verse 15 it says, Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. So notice the the qualifications. Someone who played well. One of my best friends, Nicholas Hernandez, one of the things he impressed me, he has this gift of of worship and of of leading people to the Lord in worship. And One of the things he impressed upon me was he, he practiced his craft. He wanted to be skillful at it because he wanted to play well. Because he didn't want people to be distracted uh, by a lot of the mistakes that could happen in a musician's life, outside of, of worship and inside of worship. But and that's not to get so critical. You know, There has to be growth. We, God knows and understands when someone is new and learning anything, any kind of skill. There, there's grace in that. But we are to strive to grow in what we're doing. We are as Christians to strive to allow God to empower us to do the best of our ability, to not be lazy. And notice too that this music though, it's driving away the spirits that are tormenting Saul. So in our life, when we feel this oppression in our lives, turn the worship music on. There's a lot of great, bands out there right now, even worship music is is awesome. You just play it in your car. Sometimes you sing it while you're driving. You have your headphones on, whatever that place looks like for you. Uh, I'll, I'll put a plug for Shane and Shane in right here. They're a great worship band. If you guys don't know too many worship bands yet, Shane and Shane is a good one. Uh, but allow worship to get you focused on God. So that you can refocus your life and center it upon Christ. And know also that worship, I'm sorry, that music could go the other route, the bad route. And if you're just filling yourself with constantly just to the filth, the filthy music, you're going to change your mindset. Remember, I think I just talked about this last uh, Sunday where I said that music is the language of emotion. So what kind of emotion are you putting in your head? What kind of language and emotion are you allowing to fill your life? For King David, or for, at this point, the shepherd boy David, he's probably just going to play some soothing songs on his harp. Maybe even beginning to worship the Lord and pushing and driving out this, this troubling spirit to Saul. He says in verse 18, one of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Look at uh, uh, David's characteristics. He's a brave warrior, man of war, good judgment, a talented harp player, fine looking. But most importantly, and the Lord is with him. You see, without the men were looking at all those qualities that he had. But the most important thing to God is that he was with him. If that's all you have, you're blessed. If God is with you tonight, you're blessed. And if he's not, he wants to be. And he's offering that relationship for you to be with you. And all it takes is for you to believe. Repent from your sins. Believe, have faith in Jesus Christ and allow him to be King, Lord and Savior of your life. So David, this fine looking young man, and then in verse 19 says, So Saul sent messengers to Jesse, to say, Send me your son David, the shepherd. And Jesse responded by sending David to Saul. Along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So Z- David went to Saul and began to serve him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul went, sent word to Jesse, asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. And maybe that's what we need in our life, so that these tormenting spirits would would go away, so that the, the... pain, the the fear, the anger, the lust, the aggression, the anxiety would go away. We need to worship the Lord. With our lives first and foremost, we need to submit to God. With this, I do want to close with an opportunity for if there's anyone out there who wants to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you want to have the the Lord's anointing in your life, if that's you, if you want to repent from your sin and have a new life where you are submitted to God, where He is your Lord and your Savior, where you allow Him to call the shots, all you have to do is just ask and receive. Repent from your old lifestyle. Repent from sins. And then follow God and be obedient to him. So I'm going to pray. And if you would like to join me in this prayer, go ahead and just follow along. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. I confess to you that I am a sinner. Wash me by your Son's blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be my Lord and my Savior. Use me. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me pray one more time for uh, all those listening tonight. Heavenly Father, we do... Thank you, Father. We love you. I pray that you would just, uh, if there's anyone who's uh, just received you for the first time, Lord God, fill them with your joy, your love, your spirit, Lord God. Drive out any darkness, Lord God, in, in their lives. And I pray for those listening, Father, those walking, those saved. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Use them mightily. May we turn back, Lord God, our attention to worship you fully and completely, Lord God. May we, Father, be obedient when you first call us. May we may we not delay our obedience. And I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, Father, use us. May we we be men and women after God's own heart. May we seek you first, Lord God. May we make ourselves available to be your instrument. Father, protect those who are, Lord God, out there, Father on the front lines getting Lord God, just uh, dealing with the the disease, Lord. We love you, Father. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. I'm going to have one more song. Um, If you guys want to, uh, I do want to make an announcement. This Sunday, uh, we are going to have communion via the internet. So if you guys want to just get this ready now, Uh, In your house, go ahead and and get some some grape juice. Get some crackers. You could even use real bread. Unleavened bread is the original Jewish way to do it, but you could get any kind of bread. And get some some bread and some juice. And then at the end of the study, we're gonna take communion together as a church, but via the webcast. So it allows us to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. For our sins. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. But we love you guys. We're going to pray for you. We're going to keep praying for you. And uh, let's end with this worship, worship song. God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness. My
1: God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every I worship you. I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the That is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are.
0: Amen. Guys, be blessed. We love you. Leave some comments and we'll be lifting you up in prayer. We hope to see you soon, all right? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.